Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you all right? I'm okay, I think, although something extraordinary has happened. I don't know if this has happened to anybody else. So measure child's feet to get a pair of shoes, acquire the pair of shoes, put the pair of shoes on two hours later, if that they seem not to fit, measure child's feet again, and they have grown. They have grown in two hours. How is this even possible? I mean, I've heard of shoes only lasting a month or two, but hours? I, I don't know what's going on. And yes, they were measured correctly, so I have no idea, but it's all a bit strange to me. But never mind. Um, we've got some great books to talk to you about today. Let me talk you through the range. Quite a selection. So, First of all, we've got a book called Waiting to Begin by Amanda Prowse. And we're going to talk to Amanda today, which I'm really excited about. Um, we've also got a book called Lucky by Rachel Edwards. We've got Black Buck by Matteo Ascaripour. We've got The Dinner Guest by P.B. Walter. And we've got Dr. Wartle's School by Trollope, because... At the moment, we're in something, well, obviously, you know, we're in October. Why am I saying that? But on Booktube, there is something running at the moment called Victober, where you read some Victorian literature in October, you see. Um, so I just thought I'd be I'd be down with the YouTube crew and also read, read a bit of Victorian literature, don't you know? Actually, I did listen to it as an audio book, but it's still the same thing in in according to me anyway. I don't know what your views are on it all. So we've got quite a few books to get through and I'm just going to jump in and tell you about Amanda's lovely book. Now I have to admit and I I will be admitting this to Amanda um, but I did something shameful with this book. I haven't done it before that I can remember of certainly um, and it was it was awful. So I carry a book everywhere I go, it is fair to say. And one morning I'd been particularly multitasking on a work call, bringing down washing, bringing my book as well. And well, let's just say Philippa put the book in the washing machine 
and turned it on. And about five minutes later, I thought, where's my book? I can't be parted from a book for this length of time. And I went everywhere that it could be. I thought, no, it's where is it? And then, you know, when the cold realisation hits you and you just think, oh, I didn't do that, did I? And uh, you go and look and there it is in the washing machine. So then I had I stopped the washing machine, obviously could do that, couldn't work out how to unlock it because there was the water in it. So I'm trying to Google the instruction manual for the washing machine, of which there were like 30,000 different types. Nothing would tell me what to do. I think in the end it just felt sorry for me and, and it had removed the water silently. I don't know how it had done that. But anyway, it did it and I could extract the book and the words weren't smudged. I don't know how. It was a miracle. Uh, but it's probably a miracle because I need to tell you about this book. Um, so you, you know me. I'm not big on, well, to use the old fashioned words that don't apply anymore, but like chick lit or rom-coms, all of those sort of things. Those aren't the books that I am into. I need something more, more real if that makes sense. Um, and this book, this book delivered it for me. OK, here's the blurb. 1984. Bessie is a confident 16 year old girl with the world at her feet, dreaming of what life will bring and what she'll bring to this life. Then everything comes crashing down. Her bright and trusting smile is lost, banished by shame and a secret she'll carry with her for the rest of her life. 2021. The last 37 years have not been easy for Bess. At 53, she is visibly weary and her marriage to Mario is in tatters. Watching her son in newlywed bliss, the hope, the trust, the joy, Bess knows it is time to face her own demons and try to save her relationship. But she'll have to throw off the burden of shame if she is to honour that 16-year-old girl whose dreams lie frozen in time. Can Bess face her past, finally come clean to Mario and claim the love she has longed to fully experience all those years? Wow. So shall we read the first sentence? You know, that's what we like to do. So this is the prologue 1984. Ordinarily, it would have been exciting travelling somewhere by train, but there was nothing ordinary about this trip or this day. There we go. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It surprised me how much I enjoyed it. And I will definitely be reading more of uh, Amanda's work. She's gone through some very challenging times in her life. And I'm really keen to talk to her. Enough of me waffling. Let's talk to Amanda now. So Amanda Prowse, author, well, author of lots of books, but particularly today, Waiting to Begin. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's lovely. Well, wanted to talk to you. You have published so many books. You've written so many books. Why, why this book? Why now? Mm, that's a good question. I think uh, the older I get, the more I tend to look back to my teenage years as the golden times or the times when things started to go right or started to go wrong, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. But they're so formative. Um, and it was my 53rd birthday in the way that it is with the character in the book. And I started to think of me at 16 and all the things I hoped I might do and the places I might visit and the things I might achieve. And I looked at the mirror and I thought, gosh, yeah, I'm 53. My life has, is, hasn't turned out, does it for any of us, in the way I thought it would at all. Some of it is much, much better. Some of it much, much worse. 
And I kind of started to mentally compare those two ages. And I thought, you know what? It seems to be quite pivotal for a lot of read a lot of women I speak to, and certainly a lot of readers, who were saying that they could relate to that, that you know, the person they were at 16, where you feel invincible, that you can take over the world and do anything. And then you get on the hamster wheel of life, you start running, and suddenly you blink and you're 53, if not 54, very, very soon, as you are in my case. Um, and things are very different. I just thought that idea was something I wanted to capture. Uh, and which you did. And, and what I really loved about the book is that you, you treat the reader as an adult. You don't present this sort of twee story. Um, you, it, it's a very human story. Is that something you deliberately do? It's not all packaged up in ribbons and laces. I think what I try to do, Philippa, is write real life. And I think that's why um, my books are relatable, because it, it amazes me. Every book I write, whether it's talking about alcoholism, the difficulty of parenting teens, whether it's mental health, whether it's weight issues, whatever it is, people always contact me and say, oh, this could be my story. And I think, well, yes, it's all of our stories. That's, that's kind of the point. I write a, a slice of life in the way that we all see it. And things are never perfect, mm. even if from the outside, Side looking in you think they are so I'm very very interested in what goes on behind the front door maybe I'm just very nosy I think that might be it I certainly am um but actually for me and I think for most of us life is a roller coaster we cling on we hope we can you know survive the bumps and get to the other side without losing a flip-flop there are moments of joy there are moments of, of difficulty and sadness but that's just real life so I think to answer your question, to sanitize things, to wrap it up neatly or in some way, uh, you know, uh, sugarcoat any issues, I think would be doing a disservice to real women and real life. And, and that's what makes it for me a, a good emotional read. I haven't had a book that's made me cry for a long time, but when I finished the book, I'd, I'd, I had a little whimper to myself, a little, oh. Well, sorry, not sorry. I'm actually glad for your tears. That makes me a horrible person. But I know it means I've got it right. If I've, if I've brought out some level of emotion, I think that means I've got it. And, and one thing I find when I'm reading is that very often I will read a book and it could be about, I don't know, death. And I will absolutely break my heart. I'm not actually crying about the character in the book. I'm crying because it's reminded me how I felt how that felt to me when it happened to me, when I felt when I was going through that. And I think that's what I kind of do. I think a lot of my books, it's not that you're crying because of anything going on with the characters, although it might be, and that's great. But very often it takes you to a place where you remember what it felt like. And that's like opening a door, I think. And that's why, why yeah, they're quite emotional. And Bessie is very much the, at the heart of the story. Did you always know what you were going to throw at her? Yes, I did, because I have a very weird, I have a very, I suppose, a weird quirk, Philippa, in that I know exactly what I'm going to write before I ever sit down. So my books arrive in my head completely fully formed, beginning, middle, end, twists, turns, everything. So I never have to think about the plot or uh, a development or a character or I see them, I see their world and they come into my book and into my head in about Mm, sometimes 20 seconds sometimes three minutes so that's why I'm, I write so quickly I've only been writing for 10 years but I've written 33 novels because I don't have to think about it they're they're in my head and it's just I write them like I'm seeing the movie for the first time so I always know in advance exactly what I'm going to put these poor people through I know it's quite cruel really um but yeah so I do always know 
So you're, you don't plot as in writing it down, you, the picture, and as you say, the movie is fully there in, in your head. That's amazing because whenever I have an idea for a book, then by the time I come to write anything down, I've, I've forgotten what that was. How do you hold it? You must have an incredible memory. I have. I've got an exceptional memory. I'm rubbish at everything else, Philippa, just to qualify. <laughs> Absolutely rubbish at everything else. But I can do two things. Remember stuff, not always interesting or relevant stuff. And, and, I, and I can write very quickly, which is, turns out to be quite an asset. Um, but yeah, I think I, I never make a plan. I never jot a note. I don't have a post-it note. I don't have a filing system. I keep everything in my head in filing cabinets in a room that I've created and they're all labelled alphabetically. And I've done that since I was a child. And I, I didn't realise that not everyone did that until I did um, I did the Radio 2 book book show a uh, book club uh, a couple of years ago with some other you know fantastic authors and I said you know when the moment you, your book comes in and you pop it in one of your filing cabinets and they looked at me like what are you talking about and I said you know when your book comes in when you get your whoosh they said Amanda we have no idea what you're talking about and I think I was 47 and I thought oh my gosh and I realized that it doesn't happen to everyone but I didn't know up until that point I thought it was just how it was. So do you have to write the book quite quickly do you have a momentum then because it's all there no no some some books I write I keep them in my filing cabinet so I I could easily I've said this before I could easily pull out right now books I've already written and write them to about 80 90 percent accuracy and I have books that I put in there when I was in my 20s that uh, some I've written some I haven't I will one day but they're all just there and it's like it's very hard to describe but it's like I, I I could just pick them out and I can flick through and I can read them so because it's a book I see it in its entirety that's just what I write. So I'm interested then how long the characters stay with you afterwards you know it ha, was Bessie still there on your shoulder talking to you afterwards or does she go back in the filing cabinet and it's no, I have, a, a, again, I, sp- I think it's quite a, quite a weird quirk, but I have created a world in my head where all my characters live and exist. So it's like an alternate universe for me. Um, so if you imagine someone playing Sims, you know, the game where you mm. sort of, so for example, Bessie lives in St Albans. And if she got in her car and drove to Bristol, she'd, uh, you know, she'd meet Romilly. She'd meet, uh, if you drove to Woolacombe, they'd meet, you know, Rosie. So all my characters exist in real time in my head in their worlds. And even though I write the stories I write, I could tell you their whole life. I could tell you about their childhood, their births, their mothers, what they eat, where they shop, where they go on holiday. They are complete living people family if you like people I know maybe facets of me I don't know but they all live in this world inside my head which I can see um and it's quite funny I can tell you what the weather's like I can tell you what they're all doing right now I can tell you what the offspring of those people are doing um I I often think I could quite easily go and write a prequel or a sequel or whatever to every book I've written and then I could do the same for that book because they all just carry on in my head so when you are reading another book um does it have to be a very visual book for you as well? So you're seeing that book as a movie or it's just completely no, different? Wow. Not at all. I think it feels very different for me. But what I have always done, and this is, I don't think I've even spoken about this before. For example, I, I remember reading Black Beauty by Anna Sewell when I was a, when I was a child, one of my favourites. And I would, before I went to bed, you know, get on the back of Black Beauty and go on my own adventure. 
So Anasul was writing one story, but it didn't end there for me. I could do a little spur story where I would literally get on her back and off I went. And I was going to visit my grandma and I'd go to the seaside and and have an adventure of my own. So I I do that with other people's books too. I'm able to take their characters on an extra journey in my head once I close the book for the night or when I finish it, whatever. And yeah, I can change it a bit, but I don't know if that's weird. (laughs) It's not weird. It's wonderful. (laughs) But it's just showing that the... A book is just the start of a story for you and then you can take that on and yeah absolutely so do you is there ever a time when you change the story as it was going to happen as you as you then come to it no it's completely set out yeah the only thing I've ever changed is once or tw- in fact twice I think um, an editor has said oh my gosh I would really rather that person lived or you know what I really think that is too much for her to go through or not enough for her to go. They might make a, an editorial tweak and yeah. then I will incorporate it. But that's coming from an external source. And I think often with a commercial, you know, attitude, really, because I don't think of it in that way. But they'll say, oh, yes, no, that was a bit a bit harsh. This person needs to live or we don't need that character or whatever. And then, of course, I will edit it and amend it. But but no, I, I really don't. Yeah. So can you write in this? Do you have to write in the same place to have that sort of focus or can you just write wherever you are? I write on the floor of a waiting room. I write in a plane. I write in a sofa. And I grew up in a very busy, chaotic sort of small house with lots of brothers and noise and not much cash knocking around. And I was used to having to curl myself away and escape into a book or do my homework or whatever. And um, I often used to long for more space and peace and quiet, but I didn't realise it was wonderful training because now I it doesn't matter where I am if I'm delayed or on a train fantastic I just open my laptop and I, I carry on where I left off so it's actually quite a good skill in fact right now there I don't know if you can hear there's two dogs roaming around yeah. machine whirring there's a fire crackling there's you know, goodness knows what farmers in the lane and it makes no difference to me I've you know I've been writing all morning and I I almost flourish in that chaotic environment and having to really immerse myself in the world that I'm I'm writing about so when you first started writing, was it almost quite cathartic? Because this seems to, you know, it, it's so unique that you're you have these stories in your mind and you can open the doors to wh- whichever place. I can only imagine that it felt very significant when you actually started to write that. Philippa, it was like the cure for my poor mental health. And I think up until that point, life felt a little overwhelming. My head felt very noisy. My thoughts were intrusive and busy. Um, And suddenly it was like someone had turned on a tap. And I didn't start writing until I was 42. Um, So I've only been writing for 10 years. But it was like, oh my goodness, this this is the answer. This is the way to get it all out of my head. And it was a wonderful release and it still is. And it, it wasn't only a happy place, it was the happy place. It is the thing that makes me, me happiest. Um, and I always say it wouldn't matter if I never sold another book. You know, um, I would do it anyway. Hmm. I would still 15 hours a day sit and do what I do because I've discovered l- luckily something I absolutely love. But it almost feels like a a necessity to me I can't imagine not writing and there is nothing I would rather do there is no exotic holiday no fantastic restaurant no Parisian walkway no you know nothing I can imagine is nicer than sitting on my sofa with a dog by my side and my laptop you know on a cushion and tip tapping away it's it's everything to me 
So do you then struggle when it comes to the editing process and when someone else is saying, well, let's let's look at the structure or, you know, the, the technical side, sort of just the story? It's really interesting. So because I'm a new writer, I mean, I, as I say, I've only been writing 10 years, so I'm still really learning. When I first started, um, obviously, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I thought you'd write a book on the Wednesday. Following Thursday, it's going to be in every bookshop on the land and I'll buy a swimming pool. Thank you very much. Doesn't quite work like that. Um, I think it was very strange for me to get uh, a critique, an editorial back from someone saying, I think this is a bit slow here. This could be tighter. This character isn't rounded enough. I'm like, oh, really? I d that hadn't occurred to me that that might happen. And I took it very, very personally. It took me a while to understand that the people who are looking at my work, um, they're not just there to make my life harder or to be mean. It's because something isn't working and they have that unique helicopter view, that sort of, you know, removal, if you like, um, that they can see it and they're able to come up with suggestions that make it better. Um, it might be commercially better. It might be better paced, whatever it is. And I had a word with myself and I thought, you know what, these people are professionals, they're experts at what they do. And if I don't listen to them, I'm not gonna learn, I'm not gonna get better. Mm. And it was a really salient lesson for me to let everybody do their job. So the cover designers, let them do their job. You know, the people who do the layout, let them do their job. The editors, they know best. My job is very simple, it's just to write the story. Their job is far more complicated and they have years of expertise. And when people say, oh, it's a team effort and people say, oh, well, not really. You wrote the book. I say, no, it, it really is a team effort because without their super skills and without um, embracing all that they can bring to that story, my stories wouldn't be half as good. I say I write good stories and I say the team make them great. And that's the truth. That's amazing, though, because they are such strong stories. And, and yet you acknowledge the team behind you. When you're coming to write the book, um, even this one, Waiting to Begin, did you, do you have a set number of words you, you do a day? It's, I mean, it, I can't imagine it would be that methodical for you. It, it... Exactly right. It, it can't be for me. So some days I will write 7,000 words. Some days I'll write 8,000 words. Some days I'll write 200 words. And sometimes I'll be writing and then life gets in the way, mm. you know, child things and dog things and house things and husband things and everything else. You think, oh, you know, I just want to be writing, but I can't. So I more or less abandon the text for however long, a few hours. Um, and yeah, so it, it varies enormously. But this is a weird one. I, I never, ever think about the structure, the length of chapters, the overall length. But my chapters automatically fall into a into a into a number and my overall books are nearly always between 90 and 100 100 120,000 depending but they're always very they're very similar in the way that they're constructed so it's almost like I have I have a rhythm when I type I have a rhythm to the story and that rhythm just gets translated in my physical writing so it almost happens organically without me thinking too much about it I think I would find it hard to do a preset amount and I know it works for a lot of people I think I would find it hard I'd feel that I'd feel that was constraining maybe I don't know and when you've got these different stories the different doors in your mind how how do you know that a story has simmered enough that it's at, at boiling point and ready for you to write that that's a very good question. And the answer is I don't. Sometimes I think, oh, I want to write that one. And I will shelve 
the three I'm working on and I'll go straight to that one because it feels the most pressing and sometimes as is the case with this one really hope my editor isn't listening uh, I'm, I have a deadline popping up and I'm, I'm working to that but I got this absolutely fabulous book come to me uh, I was outside of school about two weeks ago and I thought oh, I've got to write that so I just quickly rattled off the first two chapters because I really wanted to write it just for my own joy just you know just for that pleasure really um, and I'll come back to it at some point so I do that quite a lot and I tend to jump around so if um, if I'm writing something that's particularly hard or what I call a gut puncher I will very often start another story that's a bit lighter just so that I don't feel um, you know without sounding arty farty too sort of bogged down by it mm. or too affected by it um, particularly some of my harder hitting novels, I find it does me good to write a Christmas story or a something while I'm doing that, just to keep keep the balance in my mind emotionally. You're only one of two authors I know that that can do that, that can write different books at, at the same time and and move between them. Uh, that's very interesting to to hear that, and, and presumably because you're writing them on your laptop, it's not as if you need to change where you are to change the story you just close the book in the the door in your mind and open the other door yeah and and quite interestingly because I'm always always writing very often an edit will come in for a book that I have you know that that's coming out next year that I've finished maybe six months ago and I have to switch to the edit so I literally just shut it down do the edit and then I go straight back into it so I've, I've written I'm actually just finished my memoir that comes out next year or part of my memoir that's coming out next year and um, I finished that at midday and at one o'clock after having a cup of tea and a cheese sandwich with my husband, I went straight onto this novel. So I had about a 40 minute break between the two, but it didn't strike me as odd. Um, and I, I think part of that, Philippa, is I've always worked for other people. I've always worked in, I've done so many jobs and I've always had to work to get money to put food on the table, pay the rent, look after my kids and be self-sufficient. So even though I write, even though technically I suppose I'm self-employed, I don't see it that way. I see that I have to deliver for someone who's paying me money to do that. And I think if I, I wasn't doing it, I would feel that I wasn't doing my job properly. So I, I kind of, you know, that's how I, I just keep going. Yeah. So do you ever have a time when the words don't flow as freely as you would like them to? And if that happens, is there some a go-to, a biscuit, a coffee, a walk, that any tactics that you employ? Well, technically, I can go to a biscuit for just about any. <laughs> you know, there's never, never excuse needed to go for a biscuit, sadly. Yes. Hence the size of my waist and my bottom. Um, but no, not, I have to say not really. There have been periods of my life where I have gone slower. I would think it's fair to say, but that wasn't because the words weren't there, but because I was carrying a deep sadness because I was mourning someone or because um, life felt particularly tough. Um, my son is 24 and has had struggles with his mental health, which we've written about. Um, and I tended to go slower then because half my brain was burdened with that. And I found it, I found it quite tricky to feel fired up about what I was writing. Um, and so I think, yeah, the pace was affected, but certainly not, not reaching for the words they were always there but I think yeah I think that's fair I went slower yeah I can imagine that those very difficult times are bound to affect you especially when it's um, emotional writing as well do you look back and see that your writing has was different during those very intense times as well 
massively. And I always pick the story, I suppose, in answer to your previous question, um, like we're doing a Ronnie Corbett sketch, isn't it? It's the answer to the question you asked me before. But basically, I, I tend to pick a story that suits the time, the mood, the season. So I very often will write a winter book during the summer and a summer book during the winter. So even when it's freezing and chilly, I will literally place myself and my characters on a balmy beach somewhere where it's, you know, gloriously warm. And I find that does me good. That's nice for my bones. Um, and similarly, if it's, if it's, you know, lovely sunshine, I quite like to sit and write about snow and really have to remind myself what that's like. So maybe that's odd, but no, I do that. And my mood, it's the same. Um, so at the moment, for example, I'm writing a story about um, a woman who is responsible for a seven-year-old child. And that's come about purely because I've been much more involved in my nephew's um, daily life over the last few weeks. And I thought, oh, this is really nice. And look at this school gate activity and all these wonderful mums and that whole environment that I'm so you know out of touch with because my kids are 24. And so, yeah, I'm definitely influenced, certainly, by, by what's going on around me and, and how I'm feeling. Has your view on publishing changed over the 10 years? Ah, oh, so I knew nothing about the world of publishing at all. Still don't. No, I know a bit more now. But um, I think I'm much more thankful to have got through the net because let's face it, the chances of getting published are super slim. Not because your work might not be the best book ever written, but because it's incredibly hard to be seen or read. And I think never has there been more opportunity to get your work out there in some ways, because we have so many digital facilities open to us and so many reading communities and wonderful digital forums. But that doesn't necessarily translate into sales. And I think that's the hard thing. I think, you know, finishing a book is hard. Writing a book is difficult. Selling a book is a whole other ballgame. And I'm learning much more that it has to be a three-stranded attack it has to be you know creative and, and and well written it has to be on shelves clickable and available and it has to uh, be commercially uh, what people want to read and you know they're going to click on it buy it whatever so it's a lot more to it than just sitting down and thinking I've got a good idea for a book you have to be much more of a uh, have more business acumen about the publishing world which I have had to learn fast but luckily, um, I think one great thing about about the you know the, the era we're in is that there are so many ways to get your work out there. So much is possible, um, and readers will give you feedback. They'll tell you whether they like what you're reading or they don't. And if they don't, you can adjust it. And if they do, do more of that. You know, it's great in a way. It's not a case of standing there with a pamphlet on a corner saying, "Would someone like to buy this for a penny? Please let me know what you think." In one click. You can reach, you know, hundreds of people, if not thousands, and that feedback is invaluable. So I think it's an exciting time for publishing and no one tends to take one route anymore. I am both traditionally published and I'm digitally published. And uh, I just feel the opportunities just keep opening up for writers, for creators. And that's got to be a good thing. So if you could go back 10 years when you're sitting there writing your first book and you just whisper something in your ear, what would you whisper? That it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And nothing is going to matter as much as what's coming your way. So don't worry about the book. Don't worry about this process. Don't worry about not understanding it. Because um, over the 10 years I've been writing, I've had much bigger fires to fight than, than writing. You know, my son tried to take his life. And, you know, Philippa, I've earned a fantastic living. I earn a fantastic living. I have that swimming pool. Lucky me. I would have given away every red cent and every drop of water in that pool to bring my son one night of good sleep. 
So I would tell myself that it doesn't matter and that everything is going to be okay. Uh, and I don't know how else to end this discussion because that is such a significant thing that you said. And it, it's, and I think that's what comes through in your books, the, the heart of it and the emotion um, is there in, in the book. So uh, Amanda, Amanda Prowse, author of Waiting to Begin, thank you so much for joining me today. Sure, that has been a really lovely chat. Thank you. Honestly, it's been great. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Well, now I like her even more. And now I want to go and read all her books. Just um, so moving. Yes. Well, there we go. We'd better we'd better move on. Um, we'll move to another book. I really appreciated Amanda talking to me today and for her lovely dogs. I think one was snoring and one was occasionally moving, uh, whereas my poor dog's been banished because her snores are legendary. They're just so loud. So she's currently in another room. Uh, I think I was lucky to talk to Amanda today and that takes me on, get me, that takes me on to the name of our next book, Lucky by Rachel Edwards. Um, 
I had come across Rachel before on Twitter, um, but I hadn't heard more about this book. And it was only when I was in a bookshop and it had a great big sticker on this saying signed by the author and I was waiting for my mother who was choosing birthday cards. I thought, oh, I'll just have a look at this. And I read the blurb and I thought, hmm. I want to read this and I'm rather glad I did. This is a different book. OK, here's here's the blurb for you. Etta wants to get married. Big Kate, the dress to break Instagram. Four plus kids. She wants it all. Ola, her partner, says he does too. But he's also allergic to making concrete plans and keeps insisting that they save enough for a house deposit before they even think of marriage. So Etta finds a way to start secretly making money, online gambling. And how lucky that she just happens to be extremely good at it. Soon she's playing quite a lot. She doesn't like lying to Ola, but it's all for the good of their relationship. She's even made a friend on the site, St Christopher 75, and she's invited to a special VIP party. Even if she is losing a little money here and there, or even quite a lot, she'll win it back eventually. In the meantime, perhaps St Christopher 75 can help her out with a little loan. Once she's met him in real life, he's just one big and he's been so friendly and helpful and he says her photo's hot. Why wouldn't he want to help her? Mm. So let's read the first page. Well, OK, <laughs> this is a short sentence. It's got four words in it. So actually, I'm going to be fair and read the first two sentences. She electrifies the room. Her swallowed fear, her femaleness, the accounts that must soon be drawn from her, fugitive truths flushed out from the dark into the glare of the strip lights. Um, in fact, I'm actually going to read you the first sentence of chapter one as well, because there are these uh, couple of pages that intersperse the story of which the first uh, page is one. Um, and it takes quite a different tone to the others. So I'm just going to read you the first sentence of the main chapter one. Sunday, 1st of April 2018. Today, Easter Sunday, was going to blow their lives wide open. I really enjoyed this book. Um, on one level, yeah, it's basically it's got two levels. On one level, it's a whole story how to avoid dipping your toe into the muddy pond that is that is gambling. In fact, muddy pond is far too nice a phrase for something that can destroy lives. Um, but it, yeah, okay, it's about gambling. And when you take a small step in one direction, it can then, uh, that that direction you go in can take you further and further away from where you are. Um, so, yes, it's about that. But it's also about living in Britain today, um, wider, more international events. It's about identity. It's about all sorts of things. I found it very easy to read, and I don't mean that dismissively. Um, but it's very rare that sort of a, a thriller-type book has deeper meanings that then stay with you, if that makes sense. And yet this book did. 
I feel it's very accomplished writing and uh yeah I'd be I'd be looking out for her next one so Rachel Edwards you better you better get writing please be tapping away at that computer because I would be interested to see what you what you write next. Um, it's currently out in hardback, so of course you'll get the paperback as well. Um, but uh, yeah, very interesting. The more she wins, the more she loses. Lucky by Rachel Edwards. So now we go on to a book called Black Buck. And I've been seeing a lot of this on online, on Insta, on Twitter, all sorts of things. Um, and as I say, it's written by Matteo Ascaripor. OK, let's do the blurb first. Um, Meet Buck. But before Buck was the Muhammad Ali of sales, floating like a butterfly and selling like a demon. He was Darren, an unambitious 22-year-old living with his mother and working at Starbucks. All that changes when a chance encounter with Rhett Daniels, the silver tongue CEO of NYC's hottest tech startup, results in Darren joining Rhett's elite sales team. On his first day, Darren realises he is the only black person in the company. And when things start to get strange, he reimagines himself as Buck, a ruthless salesman, unrecognisable to his friends and family. Money, partying and fame soon follow Buck. And wherever he goes, more is never enough. But when tragedy strikes at home, Buck begins to hatch a plan to help young people of colour infiltrate America's sales force, setting off a chain of events that forever changes the game. Uh, right, let's... Oh, that's the author's note, Philippa, not the introduction. So the first chapter is called Prospecting. <laughs> the day that changed my life was like every other day before it, except that it changed my life. I really enjoyed it. it. It's quite a sort of a satire. In many ways, it's quite useful to read it at a similar time you're reading Lucky because both books have a lot more to say about our society than the premise would make you think. Um, in some ways, it didn't deliver what I was expecting and therefore I felt disappointed. But actually, that was... That was my fault. It was um, a bit like, uh, I'm trying to think of the film Wolf Street, where things go off in one direction and then get very sort of sinister. Um, and I wasn't expecting it from this book, but that is no bad thing. That just shows me and my assumptions. Um, and so it was, it was actually a different book than what I thought it was going to be, but it's still a really good book. So don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't read it. You should, but just expect, expect something different. And now I'm wondering if that was the name of the film. The Wolf of Wall Street. The Wolf of Wall Street. I could almost hear you all screaming at me saying, no, you got that wrong. Yes, it's a bit like that film. It's, it's nothing like it, but it's just, it, it starts off in one direction and you think, oh, right, this is the track it's on and this is how it's going to end up and it ends up being different. I think it's um, a good observation on uh, how bad the corporate structure can be, about sales environments and about one person who wants to change it um i thought it was very well written uh, yeah highly commendable book yeah very very good read uh, so that's black buck by matteo Ascaripor. excellent and now we come on to the dinner guest this is one i've read a while ago i don't know why i haven't reviewed it before on this podcast but it's there in my pile of books that i have to talk to you about 
And if I get through that pile of books, then there'll be space for, for me to put more books that I've acquired, which is very pleasing. So, yes, um, a lot of people have been talking about this. OK, let, let's read the blurb. It's simple. Four people walked into the dining room that night. One would never leave. Matthew, the perfect husband. Titus, the perfect son. Charlie, the perfect illusion. Rachel, the perfect stranger. Charlie didn't want Rachel at the book club. Matthew wouldn't listen. Uh, and the minute I read those words book club, my little eyebrows went up to the to the heights of the skies and said, yes, please. Thank you very much. I will be reading this. Um, let's do the first sentence. Prologue, the day of the murder. My husband, Matthew, died on an unseasonably chilly August day at dinner time. Um, I think it's got everything that you would want from a good thriller. It's gripping. It's commendable. Um, you've got limited number of characters. So you are trying to work out what's going on and what's happened. Um, I just thought it was a, a story that kept me going. Um, and is, yeah, it was it was a good read. So, yeah, a stranger at the table, a dinner that ends in death. Sounds a bit like my cooking, to be honest, but uh, hopefully it's not quite that bad. Um, but still, my cooking is pretty legendary as being awful. But there we go. I don't know if I've told this tale before, uh, but my children, once they reached a certain age, would ask me when they were eating a meal, had I cooked it or had I got it from somewhere? And if I said I'd got it from somewhere, there would be this sort of just a sigh of relief and they would carry on eating uh, with more joy than they had to begin with. So there we go. That's all good. Anyway, on to me being a really cool YouTuber, which I'm not. But anyway, um, so there are uh, different booktubers on YouTube who have different themes uh, for reading. And one um, that is very much talked about at the moment is called Victober. And it's an encouragement. It's just a great encouragement to read some Victorian literature and uh, to consider authors that you might not have come across before. Now, you know me. I love Anthony Trollope. I love Anthony Trollope. And there was one day when I had this awful headache. It was one right in your eye socket. You know, the one's really nasty. And I had to walk the dog. And I just thought, I just want something peaceful so I can just walk the dog and listen to a story and it just be all nice. And I listened to Dr. Wartle's School and it was narrated by Timothy West. And it was lovely. It just made me feel so much better. I'm not saying it's the cure for headaches, but it certainly helped helped me on that day. And I do also have the book. So I've been balancing between listening to it on audiobook and reading it. It's one of his shorter books. How many pages are we talking about? Uh, 200, 214. Um, and it, I think it was about six, seven hours on audiobook. So not too long. I think it's one you can get free on Audible as well, if you're a member. They are increasing the number of free books you can get on there, which is uh, super, well, super for listeners, not super for some authors. Um, but I suppose in many ways it helps you to discover authors and then you go on and buy some of their books or borrow some of their books from the library. So there's there's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, I am waffling. You can tell. I've not had a coffee yet. I've not had chocolate. The rest of my family had chocolate puddings for lunch and I was so good I I didn't have anything I just thought no 
I won't. I'll be good. The trouble is, then that means I'm going to have probably twice as much later on. That's always the way isn't it? you put off and then it goes badly wrong. Anyway, come on, Philippa. OK, so this is the blurb. Mr. Peacock, a classical scholar, has come to Broughtonshire with his beautiful American wife to live as a schoolmaster. But when the blackmailing brother of her first husband, a reprobate from Louisiana, appears at the school gates, their dreadful secret is revealed and the county is scandalised. Uh, let me read you the first sentence. You always get a lot of introductions. Part one, Dr. Wirtle. The Reverend Geoffrey Wirtle was a man much esteemed by others and by himself. I love Trollope. I love the way he writes with focus and attention. And by that, I mean, he doesn't go waffling on describing something in a million words that only needs a few. Um, and he has this sense of humour that I really enjoy. He likes to mock some of the establishment. Um, and I just thought it was a great book. I don't know why I haven't read this one before. Uh, clearly, I've already got the book on my bookshelves. How is that? I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Thoroughly recommend. Um, is it his best? No, it isn't. For me, the Barchester, can't speak, sorry. Barchester Chronicles are my absolute favourite. Start with The Warden, uh, which is another smaller book and, and move on. But I'm just enjoying exploring more of his writing and will continue to do so, I think. So there we go. Let's just do a recap on the books we've considered today before I knock all the books off. Sorry for that noise. So we've had Waiting to Begin by the wonderful Amanda Browse. What what a, a moving discussion that was. I shall remember that. Um, and then Philippa, don't forget, I might remember the chat with Amanda, but I need to remember as well to tell you about the books. Uh, so the other books were Lucky by Rachel Edwards, uh, Black Buck by Matteo Ascaripore, The Dinner Guest by B.P. Walter and Dr. Wirtle's School by Trollope, Anthony Trollope. No books that I'm unhappy with, all very pleased with those reads. Um, so they're very good. And I've got to get back because I've got more books to read because I need to talk to you about some other books next week. Funnily enough, we've got a really interesting, hopefully, author interview. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to the person uh, to find out more about their crime books. I won't say any more. But uh, that's it for this week. Just look after yourselves, please. And I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible 
irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.